Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My special guest today is my sister Paula. Hello. And we are going to be discussing Chapter 41 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. In Chapter 41, Lydia is invited to Brighton. Lizzie advises that she not go and Lizzie battles with Wickham. Dun dun. So it's a really serious chapter, but actually also really funny. I love that you always find them funny. Well, This was a really funny chapter. Well, it's got both in it, which I really like. I think Austin's very clever. I was trying to explain this to my girls the other day, my students, when I was studying Emma, and I was talking about how Austin used humour to show the inadequacies of her society, which, of course, she's doing here with Lydia because Lydia has got nothing to do. And all she does is focus on... Boys. Yeah. I was going to say men, and then I was like, oh, do I actually mean men or do I mean boys? Uh, because of that, that's allowed her to be as silly as she is because she's got nothing to focus on. And you find that with a lot of the idle rich, I guess you'd say, that they don't have anything going on in their lives. Um, I think it's particularly difficult for Lydia and Kitty because they don't study like Mary does. And I think that you get the impression that Jane and Lizzie do at least some form of study. Lizzie plays the piano. We don't know what Jane does, but she doesn't seem stupid. But maybe she's actually got more of her father's genes as well. And also as the oldest child, they perhaps spent more time, you know, encouraging her to be educated. Her father did maybe, I don't know. Probably. I always get the impression, as I've said before, that Mr. Bennett was more involved with his older daughters and then he just sort of gave up. It seemed yeah. like too much work. Yeah, it seems like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I was going to say poor man, but actually, um, he makes me really angry in this chapter. Yeah. He says, Lydia will never be easy till she has exposed herself in some public place or other, and we can never expect her to do it with so little expense or inconvenience to her family as under the present circumstances. And that just makes me so angry because he doesn't take his responsibility as a father seriously. And he's actually just sort of throwing his hands up in the air. I, I give up on my daughter. And poor old Elizabeth lacks any power to do anything. And she does, you know, really, really try to explain to her father why it's not okay. Um, you know, she says she, she, meaning Lydia, will soon be beyond the reach of amendment. Her character will be fixed and she will, at 16, be the most determined flirt that ever made herself and her family ridiculous. Um, and, you know, she goes on about that. Um, she call, she says uh, that, she says, vain, ignorant, idle and absolutely uncontrolled. Um, she's really, really harsh about it. She's trying to express to her father just how bad this is. Um, and her father just wants an easy life. Oh yeah, his response that she's too poor to be an object of prey. He's like, so it should all be fine. Yeah. But he's thinking only of the money. He's not thinking about what else might happen to her. And he's thinking of himself as well. He says, we shall have no peace at Longbourn yeah. if Lydia does not go to Brighton. And he says, Colonel Forster is a sensible man. Well, actually, it's your responsibility, not Colonel Forster's responsibility yeah. to look after her. It mm. just, it makes me so frustrated. Lizzie leaves the conversation disappointed and sorry. And I think this is the first time she's really been disappointed in her father and been able to say, 
Well, no, she does mention at other points that she's a little disappointed by him, but it's never so clearly stated as it is here. I mean, he did stand by her side when uh, Mr. Collins proposed, which was lovely. This obviously is going to have a huge effect on their relationship. I love Lydia's view of what's going to happen in Brighton. She saw herself seated beneath a tent, tenderly flirting with at least six officers at once. I don't know how you tenderly flirt with that many people in one go. Me either. But then I guess I guess that's why Jane Austen used that many to make it look rid- ridiculous. It's like, oh... Here I go again, going off topic. But Taika Waititi, I love him as a as a director. Boy and Jojo Rabbit, he do, he like he has these ridiculous things in it that make you realise they're fantasy or they're it's there, you know, as satire. And obviously that's what Jane Austen's done as well. Wonder about a conversation between Jane Austen and Taika Waititi, how that you would go. You reckon they'd be have an interesting conversation? They'd have lots to discuss. Well, they both have quite a dry, satirical sense of humour. Mm. Well, it seems to me from the the texts that they've both created. Um, I just noticed something else that I underlined that Elizabeth considers that this would be the death warrant of all possibility of common sense. For Lydia, that is quite damning, and of course. Uh, one of the reasons she's feeling this so harshly or so tenderly is because of what Mr. Darcy had, had said um, to her uh, about her family when she turned down his proposal. It sort of opened her eyes to it a lot more, to what her family was like. Like she always knew, but she could kind of avoid it. Yes. And it says she felt and knew the justice of Mr. Darcy's objections. She's starting to see from his perspective. You're right. She knew, but hearing it from somebody else makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel for her on this occasion. And and she lies to her father as well because, of course, she doesn't want him to know about Mr. Darcy um, because he says, poor little Lizzie. Um, has she frightened away some of your lovers? I just read those two sentences back to front, but anyway. And she says, indeed, you are mistaken. I have no such injuries to resent. So she lies to her father because, of course, she's just so embarrassed by it. And I guess it puts another hole between her and her dad, which is a little bit sad. I think it's also part of the society that she lives in that she's not quite so open, I think. These days you'd be a little bit more open with people saying, well, so-and-so said that they liked me and then they said all these awful things about me. You know, she didn't tell it. She hasn't told anyone except Jane and it took her quite some time. She didn't want to tell Jane till they were at home and they had the peace and quiet to do it. Yeah, and I guess most young women would have a sister or their mother that they could confide in, but Elizabeth can't confide in her mother. No, her mother would turn it against her. And, and you get the feeling that Elizabeth doesn't really have a lot of respect for her mother either. Which is awful. But can we move to my favourite part of the chapter? We're not going on to Wickham yet. I've still got more to say. Oh, okay. So I love there's this really beautiful bit. There's quite a balance to it. The rapture of Lydia, the adoration of Mrs. Foster, the delight of Mrs. Bennet, and the mortification of Kitty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really good description of what's happening there. And the intensity of the feeling of these young and old women. Mm, mm. 
and it starts the chapter actually starts off with with that sort of thing the young ladies in the neighborhood were drooping apace because the regiment was leaving the dejection was almost universal the elder miss bennett's a lizzie and jane alone were still able to eat drink and sleep and pursue the usual course of their employments very frequently were they reproached on this insensibility by Kitty and Lydia, whose own misery was extreme and could not comprehend such hard-heartedness in any of the family. <laughs> and Lizzie wants to be diverted by it, but to all sense of pleasure is lost in shame. And she's talking about her heartbreaking. Yeah, it's um, a beautiful picture of that household just that split between the sensible woman and those who are only focusing on the men. And it highlights uh, this little bit about Kitty, that my Aunt Phillips is sure it would do me a great deal of good. This uh, slight little hint that Kitty is delicate. Oh, I never picked up on that before. Yeah, um, they have her coughing in an earlier chapter, and then when they come back from the tour after Lydia's run away, they say... Kitty can't really do much, you know, she's quite delicate. So they're just little hints. And I read What Kitty Did Next, which was a really good novel about what happens after. I should probably reread it at some point. Or I could read my review in here like I did last week of The Other Bennett Sister and then remind myself what happens. Um, but in that, she was yeah quite a sickly child and picked up on all those little hints. All right, now we can move on to Mr. Wickham. Oh, yes. She had learnt, Lizzie had learnt to detect in the very gentleness of Mr. Wickham, which had first delighted her, an affectation and a sameness to disgust and weary. And then he seemed to be renewing his attentions to her and the thought that however long, for whatever cause, his attentions had been withdrawn, he believed that her vanity could be gratified and a preference secured at any time by their renewal. That's a slap in the face. Absolutely. And it says, you know, his attentions could only serve after what had since passed to provoke her. So she obviously straight away is very angry with him or frustrated by him. And I love the way she pokes at him without actually saying anything yeah that's why i said that she goes to battle with him because she really does yeah so little was elizabeth disposed to part from him in good humor you know she is feeling like she wants to not have a fight but she's angry with him and she wants to have it out with him but in that society she can't really can she and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies when in the movie when Mr. Darcy proposes they end up having a fight and it's a shame that this bit I don't think it's been a while since I watched it like this would make a very good fight between them as well but they are trying to be so perfectly civil on the surface that it probably wouldn't work because it's all subtext it is yeah absolutely yeah in fact I second time ever made notes about a chapter and I wrote subtext as well in my notes because yeah it, it, she she mentioned Colonel Fitzwilliams and Mr Darcy's having both spent three weeks at Rosings and asked him if he were acquainted with the former you know she's pointing out that she spent some time with these two men without saying anything about it and then she goes on 
but I think Mr. Darcy improves on on acquaintance. Um, yeah, it's all very much subtext. Yeah, and then Wickham's alarm. I love that. Yes, uh. and and I feel like we get something from his point of view. Mm. There was there was a something in her countenance which made him listen with an apprehensive and anxious attention. And I, I feel like suddenly we're in his point of view, um, which, you know, really uh, shows the effect that Elizabeth is having, which is exactly the effect that she wants to have. Which is well done here. Yeah. At the end of their conversation, they part at least with mutual civility and, the poss- and possibly a mutual desire of never meeting again. Yeah, I, I love, love that. that. It's such a good way to, to end it there. Pride is mentioned. Oh, I missed that one. His pride in that direction may be of service, if not to himself, to many others, for it must deter him from such foul misconduct as I have suffered by. So he's talking about Mr. Darcy there and pride around his family. But I feel like Elizabeth got a little bit past that uh, because it says Elizabeth could not repress a smile at this. And then it goes on. um, She was in no humour to indulge him. So she's got past it. She can see through what he's saying now. Absolutely. And see through that mask of civility that he puts on. Yeah, because he's he's trying to explain Darcy's behaviour, but um, actually um, Elizabeth knows the truth now. So this must be quite uncomfortable for Lizzie as they've all come, the regiment have come to say goodbye with the Longbourn family. So he's actually in her house. It's not like they've just met in public. He's in her house. Yeah, that's right. It um, would be very uncomfortable. But I kind of also get the feeling that she's enjoying this little tete-a-tete between the two of them. Because she says, again, when I said that he improved on acquaintance, it did not mean that either his mind or manners were in a state of improvement, but that from knowing him better... His disposition was better understood. So she's really hinting that she understands who he is and why he acts the way he does. And perhaps also hinting that she understands Wickham a little bit better. Yeah, I love how subtly she does this without really saying anything. I'm not very good at those conversations. No, you're more a slap in the face. Oh, thanks. (laughs) And then I walk away later, you know, someone will say something, I'll walk away later and I'll go... Oh, are they meaning such and such? Oh. But once again, we come back to the humour. I love that. Kitty, who cries when the, you know, the um, militia are going, but she did weep from vexation and envy. Lydia, in the clamorous happiness of Lydia herself in bidding farewell, the more gentle adieus of her sisters were uttered without being heard. <laughs> I loved her mother's advice to not miss the opportunity of enjoying herself as much as possible. Advice which there was every reason to believe would be attended to. Oh, yeah. Which? Why would you tell her that? Yeah. Because her mother has no sense. No sense whatsoever. I mean, that's what she's set up to them. But I can just picture this. Her leaning out in the carriage and making all this noise while her sisters are trying to say goodbye. And all she's doing is telling them about how wonderful the time is and how she's not going to miss them at all. You'd hope that actually being away from the family, Lily would go, oh, I miss my family. But it doesn't seem like that happens at all. 
No, she's her... got no real connections to anyone. No. Yeah, that's very true. How long is she supposed to be there for? A couple of months, I think. I don't think it actually says. It's a very long time for a young girl to be away from her family. But because how long it takes to travel somewhere and how expensive it is that you do tend to stay and you have nothing to do because you're idle rich or you're married and don't have children yet and you just have a household to run, that you stay for weeks and months Mm. and that was pretty standard like when Lizzie goes to Huntsford she stays for six weeks and Lady Catherine says I thought you were staying for two months yeah that's that true. seems more sensible to me yeah it's a really different way of life a different pace yeah such so. a different pace I really enjoyed the chapter because it was a really nice mixture of the ridiculous and the serious and and just the clever as well, the way that Elizabeth spoke to Darcy. It was a great chapter. And that is our summary of Chapter 41 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan and at my website, FrancisDuncanWrites.com. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!